Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. As a small business owner, you are the business, and you know the time you're spending on payroll and HR could be spent in a hundred better ways. Ceridian PowerPay is fast, simple, and intuitive software trusted by over 40,000 Canadian small business owners like you. Automate your HR and payroll processes, keep track of compliance, and pay your people from your desktop or mobile phone. Free up time to focus on what really matters when it comes to your business, and get back to doing what you love with Ceridian PowerPay. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and changemakers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and the lives of those driving the entrepreneurial movement in Canada. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Matt Curtis, and welcome to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. In light of COVID-19, some of our podcasts have required some updates to reflect new information. The clip you are about to hear was recorded at a later date than the original recording to include the most up-to-date information. After the clip is played, this episode will return to the originally recorded content. Enjoy! So, Bruce, great to have you back on the show, barring the circumstances, of course. Uh, thank you so much for coming back on to re-record. So, what are the top pieces of advice you want to leave entrepreneurs with as they listen to our conversation today? Well, I mean, I think the, the, the biggest piece of advice I'd have for entrepreneurs right now is to hang in there. Um, you know, we are in the middle of a cycle that I'm pretty sure most entrepreneurs and especially the young ones have not experienced anything close to what the impact of this one is. And um, I would just like to leave a, a, a word of encouragement that, you know, it's called a cycle for a reason. And, uh, you know, when times are really, really good, they're not going to last. But equally true is that when things feel like they're at the bottom or there's no way out, there always is. If you hang, if you if you continue to do the right things with the right people around you and and make good decisions, um, you will prevail. Peaks and valleys and all that is as important as anything else. Just like planking the curve. That's right. Exactly. So surrounding, uh, let's let's talk specifically then about um, you know the the situations entrepreneurs find themselves in the uh, the, the real real landscape for Canadian entrepreneurs right now. What do you think the most important thing entrepreneurs can do for their businesses is right now? Well, I think the most important thing that entrepreneurs can do is to talk to each other and talk to the trusted members of your team, the people that you entrust with making decisions, because information is changing at, at an incredible pace. Um, and aside from the obvious that there's support to be had from people that are in the same boat, we are all of us in need of perspective. And we have to make good, solid decisions 
sometimes without all the information that we would normally have access to because the future is is relatively uncertain. So, you know, the advice I would have is to, you know, keep the communication open. Obviously, whatever impact you feel that the, uh, the, the pandemic is going to have on your business or that you are currently ex- experiencing, I would assume that it's going to be a little bit more painful than your more optimistic um, projections and plan accordingly. I mean, it's a lot easier to come back from a conservative stance that you've taken than it is to be too aggressive and too optimistic and then dig yourself a hole that you may not be able to get out of. I'd rather be on the, the first side of that than the second. So I think, you know, coming out of whatever this uh, period turns out to be, um, people's habits, while I don't feel are going to be radically changed, they are going to be changed. And that would include often the pace of decision making and the willingness on the part of corporations and individuals to spend money. So if you're thinking that recovery means, boom, we're right back at it, I would have a a strong second look at that and take a sober approach uh, and 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 a gradual pace in your assumptions and plan your cash flow accordingly. Mm. So really, really take a, a conservative and safe approach and uh, focus on the internal things you can control and focus on um, really driving home what is making your business money, driving home you know the value that you add to your consumers, driving home the value you add to the market. Yeah, and I, and I think you know it's a, that's a pretty general piece of advice I've thrown out there, and, and I think it actually does apply to you know, 85% of the businesses that that are in our portfolio or the ones that we're looking at, there is the odd exception, you know, where this is unearthing opportunity um, and showing us that there are different ways to do things. And it's put a premium on certain aspects of what we do, like communication, you know, like, uh, you know, um, shopping from home to name two obvious ones. So there are categories where uh, being aggressive is deserved. And it, it, we are in a period of time where that behavior has, a, has the potential to be rewarded. I'm just saying that, you know, the businesses that are linked to business as usual, which was, you know, why wouldn't it be the majority of businesses? Because that's the situation we were living in. Um, by and large, I think the impact will be a little bit more profound uh, than some of the more optim- optimistic scenarios we're hearing about, which is like as soon as as soon as everyone gives the the go ahead, we're going to be flooding back to our offices with open checkbooks. Mm. Yeah, and and again, it just it never pays to be uh, as as you said, you know, digging yourself that own hole, and uh, you know, even uh, even promising yourself there's going to be some sunlight when you're down there. Live to fight another day. You know, I, I guess if I had to put it down to one sentence, make sure you're there to fight another day and keep a full pantry. Exactly. So that said, um, kind of uh, switching, switching the optics and, you know, from, from your perspective, you know, as, as the, uh, as the managing partner of a, uh, of an investment, uh, of an investment company and uh, managing partner of round 13, how are, how are you doing in these times? What does, what does a landscape look like for you? Like what's changed for investors and uh, investing in startups now? I know it's, um, I know you touched on this a little bit, but uh, really, like, what what are your projections going forward when it comes to uh, quote unquote business as normal resuming? 
and what do you advise founders and entrepreneurs to do to uh, take you know most advantage of the funding that may or may not be available? Right. So for us, I mean, as you can imagine, um, you know, with a portfolio of companies, seventeen of them, um, the one thing they all, they ha- all had in common and still do to a certain extent is that nobody can for sure project when things will get back to quote unquote normal and what exactly will normal look like. So, you know, we spent the first five or the last five weeks, the first five weeks of the pandemic really just hunkered down with our portfolio companies working early to late in 17 very different situations because everybody's got a nuance that's quite unlike the other. And we're just coming out of that period now. We feel we've addressed the issues that the companies are facing. Uh, we feel like we're in pretty good shape as a fund in terms of surviving to fight another day, as I said earlier in the interview. Um, and now we're turning our attention to, you know, we have over 200 million of dry powder. We think there will be good companies created during this period. There's the odd one that will be accelerated during this period. And then there's a handful of others that, um, based on on some conservative uh, assumptions, will return to growth uh, potentially sooner than some other categories as we come out of uh, of this period. So we are very actively looking um, at new investments as we speak. Um, we are taking a bit more critical eye, as you can imagine, to things like valuation, to things like projections that are assuming uh, a rapid return to growth. Um, so I think really in answer to your questions, what, what entrepreneurs can expect from venture capitalists like ourselves is that, like the one thing they can uh, expect, as they always can, is an open door to listen to what their challenges are. They can expect to get some advice from us. Uh, we won't be shutting the door uh, quickly on anything. Um, but when it comes to investing, we will you know, be taking obviously a, a relative uh, look um, at the opportunities that are before us. And uh, it, it's our hope that we'll be able to sort of select the, the ones we feel have the most potential uh, linked to some of the criteria I've already mentioned. And, and uh, we will do the work and we've got enough people to do the work. Um, so don't hesitate to reach out mm. to us. And that's that's a fantastic note. And, uh, you know, especially saying that, uh, you know, after that five weeks, you know, you managed to stabilize uh, what, what was in the portfolio and, and looking forward that, you know, even though the constraints around, you know, your decisions might be a little tighter this time. Um, I, I want to know, like, what are your projections for, you know, what you think trends in the post COVID world are going to look like, or, you know, once, once things revert to a certain stage of normal, because things will be different. And I, I, I really do hope in some senses, there are some lessons learned from this that, you know, make a new normal, like, you know, for example, something like, uh, I, I would love to know your thoughts on, you know, what you think, um, the future of like green energy companies might be once, you know, we come out of this. Cause again, we've never been this kind to the earth in what, 200 years. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you know, I, I would love to believe that that would be the case. I mean, the good news about, you know, environmental investing is that we were already, trending that way. I mean, the awareness has has never been higher on what we're doing to the earth. The willingness is starting, it was starting to be there to invest ahead of the curve, to 
address some of the challenges that we're having. So um, my, my sincere hope is that, you know, by giving the earth a, a, a break, people will be able to see that, hey, you know, this, this, there was a silver lining to this slowdown. My fear, um, and there's so many different dimensions to this part of the conversation, is, you know, whenever I've assumed over the last 30 years of, of you know, different periods of change, whenever I've assumed that change is going to be radical based on what we were experiencing at the time, I've always been a little bit surprised at just how little the needle got moved. And right. I think it's got something to do with, you know, we're creatures of habit. Um, you know, people get comfortable in their way of doing things. Like by way of an example, I think we are fundamentally social creatures. So I don't see a future of pe people cooped up in their 600 square foot condos in downtown Toronto for their entire workday. Um, I think collaboration is often an in-person thing. I think we like human contact. So, you know, I don't see that trend lasting. So, I mean, using that as an example, I think there will be change at the margin. You know, I, we, we may take a few less flights for sure, which would be beneficial. Um, but I've, I've, I've constantly been surprised at, you know, bold predictions for change from very smart people that consistently over my business career have fallen short of the projection. Um, you know, it, it's rational to assume that, you know, something as dramatic as what we're living through right now would have profound lasting change. I mean, I get it. I get the, 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 the logical leap there. Uh, but in my experience, um, the change has never been as profound as what we were expecting it to be when we were living the, the, you know, in the eye of the storm kind so to speak. Mm. And it's, it's interesting because I, I think I feel two ways about that. Uh, and, and the first one being that I completely understand, uh, you know, especially when, you know, as, as you said, people get used to a certain way of doing things, right? So when, when things have been entrenched and, you know, there, there's an institutional, you know, in, entrenching of things that, you know, last years and years and, you know, layers and layers and layers of agreements, bureaucracy, laws, everything like that, it's, it's reasonable to assume that, you know, this would take so much effort to, you know, move the needle and move the dial on and change that. It's just like, you know, even with, you know, a, a kick in the pants like this, it's, it's uh, you know, easy to see how things could not be changed. And yet at the same time, as we started, you know, uh, uh, before we started recording this conversation, we were talking about, you know, how there's been an over, what seems to be an overwhelmingly positive response globally uh, to this in terms of people taking action, in terms of people doing the right things. So well, I would well, say it's- People are trying to stay alive, right? Ex exactly, when, yeah. When it gets down to life and death, for sure, right? I mean, we yeah. have enormous, you know, capacity to change. But when it comes to looking at the health of the oceans, one generation out, we don't seem to have the same urgency or foresight to actually take collective action. And because you know, it's people, not immediate. No, and people, you know, people, people. This is an instant gratification world, and you know, people um, have very short memory. I find, and that that has been a function, I think, of the bombardment of information that we're we're handed every day, and people forget. You know, what, what mm. 
what they've lived through and they put it behind them very quickly. Um, this is a big one though, Matthew, right? This is a big one we're living through right now. So I'm not saying there's not going to be change. I think there's going to be change and there's going to be recession, right? Which brings changes in habits and, and spending and, and action. Those are, those, that's unavoidable. But in terms of the fundamental profound change that you're talking about, I've, 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 I've had my hopes up for that before and my hopes have been dashed. So I, I, I look at that with a little bit of a jaundiced eye, um, hope it moves the needle a bit on some of the things that are going to make it a better place to live. Um, but I think a bit is what we're going to hope for. Mm -hmm. And again, with, with change on that level of scale, it's, it's undeniable that, uh, that, you know, it is a calm, measured and layered approach. And, you know, uh, as, as the saying goes, I think all anybody can really hope for is, uh, is one generation better as it goes on. Well, exactly. And, and in over time, you know, if you look across multi-generations, then that adds up to what we would call significant change, right? So mm -hmm. fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. For, uh, for that and everything else and everyone else, uh, living through the midst of, uh, of the pandemic and the situation we all find ourselves in now. Uh, Bruce, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on and uh, re-recording the segment here with us. Um, and very, very soon we will get back to our previously recorded and scheduled programming. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks for taking the time. Not a problem. All the best, Bruce. Stay safe. The originally recorded episode will now begin. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. And today we are thrilled to have Bruce Croxon, managing partner of Round 13 Capital on the show. Bruce Croxon made his mark as a digital pioneer by co-founding Lava Life and revolutionizing how people connect. Under his direction, he grew this early tech startup into the marquee brand in online dating with over 2 million users. Partner, chairman, and CEO, Croxon helped lead the company's growth from four to 600 employees while achieving revenue of just under $100 million. Since the sale of Lava Life, Bruce has been active as both an investor and advisor in growth stage companies in the technology sector. As an ex-Dragon on CBC's Dragon's Den, he added a broad range of businesses and products to his portfolio that tapped into his passion for digital media, health, and marketing. Croxon currently helms Round 13, a company dedicated to investment in growth stage Canadian tech companies. He also co-hosts The Disruptors on BNN and CTV, a weekly show spotlighting Canadian business and believes our entrepreneurs can hold their own with anyone in the world. Bruce is here today to talk about how entrepreneurs can build their businesses with the intention for success from day one and how to approach investment opportunities with tact, truthfulness, and tenacity. Welcome to the show, Bruce. Good morning. How are you, sir? Not too bad. And yourself? I'm great. That's fantastic. First things first today, Bruce. What do you want Canadian entrepreneurs to take away from our conversation today? Well, I think I think at a at a at a very high level, um, it's never been a better time to start, build, and grow. Uh, certainly, technology companies in Canada. Um, I think we've got a a, a a magical coming together of you know second and third time entrepreneurs that are willing to support the ecosystem with their time and money. Uh, I think we've got well-intentioned, um, you know, government programs that help companies get off the ground. And I think most importantly, we've got a healthy uh, invest investment ecosystem from funds that are 
just getting to the point now where where we can um, you know take companies from from really beginning to uh, significant uh, growth stage, and that just hasn't something that's been existed. All three of those things haven't existed at the same time to this extent before, in my view. Mm. And it seems like there is really recognition of this trend that um, innovation is all around us, and it's just a matter of uh, providing it, you know, the correct environment, the correct ecosystem for it to grow and thrive. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and don't get me wrong, I don't think that that confluence of factors erase the fact that you have to, you know, surround yourself with the right people, with the right vision, with the right product market fit, and and sort of demonstrate success. Um, but if you can do that, uh, then I don't think the environment's been any better than it than it is right now. Certainly in my career. Mm. So, given this this current environment, given that you know the the conditions for growth are about as optimal uh, as you've ever seen them, from your vantage point, what's the f- vision uh, for the future of entrepreneurship in Canada? Well, I think that I think the again, I think the the vision's extremely bright. Um, you know, the more success we have in terms of growing homegrown Canadian companies with young people coming into them as their first or second or third job. I mean, it gives a whole new generation, a a wave of people an experience in what it is like to work in an early stage company that is well funded so that they're not, you know, having to scrape around to put food on the table and, as long as we continue to do the right thing at the government level in terms of, of the options that are available to them on a, on a tax-friendly uh, basis, I think you've got a situation where people can get training in, in what it's like to grow an early-stage company. Whether you're the head of the company or you're part of the team, I think the future uh, is being created now whereby it is increasingly a viable place to start uh, continue with and, you know, hopefully um, make it a career. And, uh, you know, those conditions haven't always been present for that type of career path. So, you know, are we in a viable place now to compete with starting your career at Deloitte or one of the banks or Goldman Sachs? Um, yes, I think we are. And, uh, and increasingly, uh, I think young, smart people are realizing that there is a path to go it to go it on your own, and and you can be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely something that's I mean obviously with looking at the Startup Canada Awards, with looking at um, all the real just in, incredibly interesting and incredible companies that are coming out onto the horizon of uh, of really every industry in Canada. It is amazing to see that you're you know again these conditions for growth do appear to be producing what's uh, what they're set up to grow and kind of building on that and, and breaking down that in some ways as well is what in your opinion are government and industry doing uh, doing well right now to help scale these high growth Canadian companies and what do you think needs to be done to help with this growth that just isn't happening right now yeah I think that's a great question and, it, and it's a moving target you know and it's something that you know at the root of it I think the communication, between um, the community and the government uh, has to stay strong. I mean, we, we need to work together. Um, as it stands now, I think there's been uh, a good amount of capital that has been well-intentionally committed to early-stage growth in the company. We're now sort of 
swinging our attention a little bit more to growth stage companies. Um, but I think it's it's incredibly important uh, that we don't give it on one hand and then disincentivize the companies on the other. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, you know, two years ago, the government, you know, tried to introduce a, a, a massive increase in capital gains tax against private hold co's. Um, what that does is it is it actively discourages some of the smartest money that was going into the early stage uh, companies, the the sort of second and third time entrepreneurs that were you know tend to be very discerning about what companies they back versus ones they don't, and and they're smart and they've proven that they know how to do it, and that's the kind of money we want active in the ecosystem. So if you start talking about taxing the gains on those investments at 70 something percent, uh, that makes an already risky investment nearly prohibitive. So that would have been a bad idea. Likewise, taxing options at, at a, a high rate doesn't make it attractive to do what we need to do uh, while we're growing companies, which is attract talent and you know probably pay them less than what an Amazon or Google or Deloitte or one of the banks might pay, but we make up for it by giving them a piece of the company uh, on a on a on a tax friendly basis. So messing with those two things is counterproductive. You know, and I understand that governments need money to run, um, but I would suggest putting more focus on how efficient the money that they're spending into the ecosystem is, for example, you know, do we need the entire amount of money that's being devoted to the early stage sector or should we be more discerning there if it's a question of balancing the books, but, but do not, whatever you do, take it away from the smartest sector or provide any disincentives for people to come into the space and make it their career because I think that's, that's very counterproductive. So by, overall, I think you know, right now we're working well together, um, but I think we need to keep the lines of communication open. And I think, um, you know, they need to take the input seriously. Uh, and I think together um, we can we can continue with an incredible role that we're currently on. Um, but let's not take this success for granted because it's been hard fought, hard earned. And I think the best gains are yet to come. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's uh, it's it's really sticking to that um two-way dialogue uh, and keeping it open and specifically about the reallocation of funds and uh, and knowing where the best money to be spent is within the ecosystem. And- no, exactly. I mean, you know, today, you know, I think we've probably got more incubators and more early stage support than anywhere outside the valley, uh, probably in the world. So if you're a young entrepreneur with an idea um, and even a, a semblance of traction, if you can't get you know, a couple hundred grand uh, to uh, prove some product market fit, the idea probably shouldn't happen. There is enough early stage capital and uh, mentorship and help floating around out there right now. I mean, we're, we're well set up to get companies off the ground, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then kind of, kind of building on that, um, I, I want to go back to your Dragon's Den days and um, and ask about how do you think we can create the same culture uh, that you know was present throughout Dragon's Den, and create the same cu- culture that you uh, that you would have now around Thirteen Capital in the ecosystem and in the startup community. Well, when you ask that question, when you look at Dragon's Den and 
re- reference culture. What what do you mean by culture? What do you what did you see there as something that you'd like to see more of? What did what what appealed to you about the culture on on the den? I would say it's um, it's that kind of scrappiness that you get, but also the uh, the the intention to say that you know I would not be here unless this was a great idea. I would not be here unless this is an idea that I uh, that I wholly believe can change the world. And I right. guess it's it's creating that same culture in uh, in really not only the support start and uh, the support arm of the startup culture in Canada but also in the scalability aspect of it as well. Yeah, so yeah, so I think what you what you're saying there and I agree with you is is confidence, right? You know, the the, the willingness to take a risk and the willingness to recognize that starting a company um, is is a viable career path. It, it's not conventional for previous generations. But it's increasingly something that should be that we should be proud of, and that we should support in our young people. You know, um, heaven forbid you ever add up the amount of time as an entrepreneur that you spend creating something and compare it to your bank balance in the early days, because that would be very discouraging. But you know, we need to recognize that the country is built off the back of small and medium-sized business, and they all start somewhere. So I think that what Dragon's Den did and continues to do is show the the country that, you know, if you have an idea and you can articulate it and it makes some sense, um, that there is support out there for it. And it's not charity. It's not like, you know, um, look at an idea and out of the goodness of my heart, I'm going to try and back it. It's there's some very viable businesses that end up on that show and, you know, get take advantage of the marketing that it provides. But, you know, some some great businesses have been built um, with with Dragon's Den as the start. And, you know, the, the idea of the show is that there is seasoned entrepreneurs there that are willing to put their money behind an idea. And if you can get their time even better because there's a lot of experience that sits in those chairs. So, you know, we've, we've taken that experience part and really believe that the right uh, advice at the right time in a company's future can be immensely uh, valuable to the entrepreneur. So that was the theme that we built round 13 capital around say, look, if you've got an idea that's far enough along that you can take sort of eight to 10 to $12 million dollars, into the company to help you accelerate. Uh, you also get us and our team and our experience. So we work together, we roll up our sleeves. And I think that was the sort of spirit of Dragon's Den. And I think that that's, uh, you know, that's something that um, I'd like to see more of. And I think you're seeing more and more funds and angels, frankly, uh, coming into the um, ecosystem with that philosophy in mind. Yeah. And I kind of building on that, I want to um, I, I want to pick your brain about, let's say, if even a lot of people who might be young in their career and who aren't necessarily, you know, well versed in what it is their skills or passions or ideas or anything might be, do you uh, would you encourage them to look to even just jumping on board on a startup going by to uh, to kind of grow and scale their skills? Yeah, I, I, you know, for it, I think there's a tremendous amount of pressure that is 
being put on young people to understand what it is they want to do um, specifically from a very young age. And, you know, I would, my point of view on that is that there's, you know, I'm still coming across new ideas and second guessing myself about career. And, you know, I'm in my, well into my fifties. So, you know, I think the first thing we got to do is, is take some of that pressure off and realize that there's a lot of different ways to get an education. And, you know, what's the rush, you know, like experience some different environments. And if you, you know, have got it in your head that you want to do your own thing or you want to be part of a team that is doing their own thing, hop in and give it a try because, you know, they're, they're, you'll get an education out of it on what that is like to do. And I think the skills that are learned in terms of working with others in a, you know, in a, in a, in an environment where, you know, success is measured every week or every day. Uh, I think there's an incredible amount of learning that can happen there and an incredible amount of fun. And I think you're going to learn pretty quickly, um, you know, whether that's a life for you or, you know, whether you may be more suited to a more structured nine to five environment, taking your weekends off and, and absolutely nothing wrong with that career choice either. But, no, no better uh, experience and, and help and decision making than to get in and give it a shot and just, you know, take some of the pressure off about having to know exactly what you want to do with the rest of your life by the time you're 28 years old. I mean, you know, there's there's lots of time and there's lots of different options on things to do. And it's, uh, you know, yes, it's a race sometimes when you're in a startup because it's a very competitive environment, but you know, life, life, your life itself doesn't have to be the same race, you know? Mm. Experience is experience is experience. Exactly. So I guess moving now into more of a founder level, um, what do you see Canadian company founders in the startup environment doing well? And what do you see are some consistent gaps that you think uh, can be bridged and how would you bridge those gaps? Well, one of my old business partners had an expression that he would, you know, haul out and remind us of when we were getting off track. And and his expression was focus is choice. And what he meant by that was that, you know, it is it is active work to stay focused on what it is that you're trying to achieve. And one of the the most common um, mistakes I see in the ecosystem are entrepreneurs that have got you know, a sniff of early success with a product and immediately are looking at six or seven other things they can add on to it off of, you know, what is a relatively low, um, you know, product market fit or consumer acceptance. So, you know, I think focus is incredibly important. So some of the most successful uh, ideas, projects, entrepreneurs, companies that come through our door show a relentless focus on, you know, the top three or four things that they need to get done in a year and are, are brutal at saying no to, you know, things that tempt entrepreneurs every day because by our nature, we're optimists and we're open to new ideas and concepts. And it, 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 it's, uh, if you're not careful, especially today with all the information out there and how quickly information is moving back and forth and how how many things show up on your inbox, if you're not careful, you, you end up chasing, you know, too many bright lights and the, the 
principle of what you're trying to achieve gets watered down. And if you lose time on that focus, um, we're in an era where competition is coming uh, at you a lot quicker than it ever has before, mainly because of technology and how easy it is to replicate technology. The cost and the complexity has come out of it. So it's, it's, it's in many ways, back to my opening comments, it's never been a better time to start a tech company for that reason. You know, it's, it's, uh, you, can, you can get going pretty quickly and test product market fit pretty quickly. That's the good news. The bad news is you can get in so fast because, you know, once you've got something that, that, uh, that you've started to prove, you're going to have people nipping at your heels. So to combat that, you have to get very good at sales and marketing and you have to move uh, a lot quicker than you've had to move in the past. And that requires uh, a relentless focus on the things that are important and a good amount of time discussing the discussing the things that aren't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And on that note, and uh, on that, you know, kind of building on that on that sentiment of really, you know, pushing the boundary as far as you can um, in terms of just getting your focus aligned as early as you can right out of the gate and then just consistently pushing towards those key indicators for what will be your your product success what will be a need for it in the market um, let's say a company and a startup has done that and they've proven their value and proven their worth and now they're at the point where they're looking for investors let's say they come knocking on round 13 or round 13 capitals door what's the best way to get your attention what are you looking for in companies coming up well first of all we're you know entrepreneurs need to realize that we're in the business of looking at companies so don't hesitate you know to to uh, get the information into our hands because you're you know you're walking into a very welcoming environment we um we celebrate entrepreneurs at round 13 and have a tremendous amount of respect for anybody that's been successful in getting an idea off the ground and at a stage where, uh, you know, you feel confident in, in knocking on our door. So that, you know, that's step one. When we dive into it, um, you know, I've seen uh, enough ideas now in my career. I've seen an, 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 uh, some good ones. I've seen some okay ones. I've seen some bad ones. And the consistent theme that runs through all, all things we look at is the quality of the team. So, you know, I've seen a lot of, quite frankly, mediocre ideas be turned into successful companies because of the strength of the people involved. And I've seen some killer ideas go to nothing uh, because people don't didn't understand culture and picking the right partners and hiring the right people. So I look primarily, um, you know, once we have a glance at the idea and, and look at the product market fit and of course, run it up the flagpole in terms of it being in a big enough space to build a, a world-class company out of. Uh, we 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 drill down on 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 the people because there's a very good chance the idea will change in some form or fashion in response to competition or new information. So we need to know we're working with people that are are truly going <clears> to <throat> morph into being our partners um, that will you know grind it out when the going gets tough. Everyone can be uh, a, a great person when things are up to the right. 
but they they don't always work that way. Uh, you know, ask any successful entrepreneur, and if they're being candid with you, you know, there was uh, almost as many days where it was looking like disaster as as it was that things were going right. So it's how you are with the team and yourself when things aren't going well that we try and get out get 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 a feel for. Um, and you know, then it's then it then it becomes a lot more conventional. You know, are there enough clients to build a business? Can we get them at a at a cost um, that uh, is reasonable? Um, and and is there going to be a propensity for those customers to stay to stick around for the long haul? And if you start to get those metrics lined up with the right team and the right entrepreneur, um, you know that. That is a, a formula for us that we think um, has a chance of being successful, and uh, we're willing to roll up our sleeves and put our time and money behind it. Mm-hmm. I, I want to hone in on uh, that element of the team because that seemed to be something you kept coming back to. And and I was wondering if you could kind of distill down, let's say, in in the top three qualities you would you need to see across the board in a team for a startup that knocks on around 13 Capital's door. What are those three qualities that everybody on that team needs to have in order for it to be a serious conversation? Well, that's, again, a a very good question. And um, I'll give you a couple of qualities that I think are universal, but I want to preface it with just saying, look, you know, the, the culture can be different and the qualities can be different for every company, depending on the type of company it is, what you're doing, who you're calling on, whether it's a business to business, a business to consumer. So for example, you know, one of the qualities we we really valued at Lava Life, which was an online dating company for those of you that, that remember, was open-mindedness, right? If you showed up at our place and you were homophobic or, you know, you had preconceived judgments about how other people chose to to live their intimate life or their dating life, um, you wouldn't have been a good fit with us because, you know, we were welcoming of, of, of all types of relationships and all anything that anybody was open to, we provided a platform for. So that would be a very specific quality for that particular industry, for that company. Having said that, um, you know, I am pretty much done backing people or entrepreneurs that can't get up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, you know, I made a mistake yesterday or that's a great idea. I never thought of it that way. A, a level of introspection that demonstrates that they don't have all the answers and that they're open to continuously learn. Because one of the things that is unavoidable now is with the, with the amount of information that we have at our disposal and how quickly ideas are being generated, I, I haven't met the person in the last five years that has all the answers. They may be out there, um, but I don't come across them. So I'm looking for people that know how to work with others, that are open-minded enough to be uh, um, convinced of another way to go, while still having the courage of their convictions when they think they're right. Um, so that, that to me is a quality in a team that will lead to that elusive um, teamwork value where people are able to put their egos aside, work for what the best answer is in the business and make that the most important thing. Um, I also look for people that uh, I have a feeling will 
grinded out through the tough times um, of which everyone is going to have them. They're inevitable. So how, how are you going to be when the chips are down? Do you have what it takes to come out the other side? So grit, determination. I mean, the, our fund is named after a 1975 round in boxing between Fraser and Ali. That was a brutal round of boxing that both fighters survived, but only one was able to get up to start the 15th. So, you know, we've built it into a story that, you know, you are going to get knocked down. Do you have what it takes to get up? So there's some universal themes there. Um, but I'm also very open to hearing, you know, different uh, definitions of what that culture might be for that specific industry. Mm. Those are great insights, Bruce, and and I think those are some that our audience will find very valuable. So thank you for sharing. You're um, welcome. What are some of the most interesting investments that you've made recently? What are some of the trends you're seeing? Well, there's some that are are undeniable. Um, you know, we're in the round thirteen is in the business of um, fueling growth, right? So we generally aren't backing you know, pure play technologies that have yet to find their product market fit. I think it's very important that people in the ecosystem are supporting those types of ideas, like the ones that, you know, are out ahead of their skis and one day may or may not become part of our future. Um, we're not in that level of, of risk. So when we look at companies, um, you know, some of the ones that have come through the door recently, are you know very much on trend, if you will. Like it's undeniable, um, and Shopify has proven this. And you know, they're what a great story, what a great Canadian story um, of a world-leading company. But the, the obviously the trend is twofold: it's democratization and it's uh, taking advantage of the massive uh, shift from brick and mortar to e-commerce. So. You know, we made an investment in a company called Bold E-Commerce out of Winnipeg, Manitoba, that is one of the leading providers of applications to the Shopify ecosystem and other online platform ecosystems. Um, and, you know, at least we know we're dealing with a rising tide and a trend that um, is, you know, pretty much accepted that more and more people uh, will continue uh, to make their purchases online. So we've backed a good team in that space. Another one would be, look, you know, everyone talks about the cloud and how as small business people and entrepreneurs, we take the cloud for granted. Every application we seem to use uh, in our lives is cloud-based now, um, you know, much to the detriment of IBM and some of the big hardware providers. But, uh, you know, it's it's remarkable how early we are in the journey for large institutions to migrate their applications to the cloud. Uh, financial institutions, insurance companies are still very, you know, have been have been slow to migrate because it's a massive job and the data is extremely important. So, you know, we have uh, backed a company called Source Group, which specializes in 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 migrating those applications for large institutions to the cloud. So, you know, you can see the theme, you know, those are two things that are inevitable. Uh, so at least the risk of not um, being in the right market at the right time 
uh, is addressed. And then it becomes all the other things we've talked about in the podcast, like team and fit and culture and, you know, whether or not we're, we're back in the right group of people. Mm. And I, I want to touch on one note about the, uh, about the ecosystem as well. So what do you see the ecosystem in Canada doing well for startups? What do you think still needs to be done? And what advice would you have for an organization like Startup Canada to help um, kind of improve this, this, these conditions for growth, even though you've said that they're about as good as you've ever seen them? How do we make them better? Well, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I'll reiterate that I think organizations like Startup Canada are very valuable because you're facilitating conversations and you're sharing ideas um, and you're doing it in a, in a way that um, ha- has the same end goal as the entrepreneurs that you're serving. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing because, um, you know, it's not always easy to get the message out uh, as to the various constituents that this is, you know, how we need to be working together to continue the role that we're on. And, you know, I I believe um, there is a, a role for government to play, um, obviously beyond the basic roles of government. And, you know, there has been a, a recognition that uh, a knowledge-based uh, economy is is within our grasp. You know, we do not have to uh, be continually reliant on the resource-based economy that that historically has proven to be our growth and our engine. And I think the support level has been good, but you know, uh, I think it's it's extremely important to continue um, providing an environment where people are willing to take risk and. I think we've got, we're, we're, I think that means that as of now, I think we're taxed enough, you know, um, I think it's the right level. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, we need to continue uh, making it um, attractive for people to reinvest in the economy rather than stick it under their mattress or move offshore. Because I really do think we have an opportunity to, um, to continue to swing above our weight uh, the other thing that I, the only other thing I'd mention is that, you know, particularly when it comes to engineers, we're, we're pretty much at full employment. So providing, you know, putting out taxpayer money to continue to attract or try and attract the Amazons and Googles of the world. Um, they know we're here. They know our engineers are here. They're trying to pilfer them every day and they don't need any subsidies to uh, move to Bay Street um, to continue the demand for talent. So all of the companies in our ecosystem have one thing in common. They're thirsty for good people. And I think we need to do everything we can to continue to supply those good people. The immigration policy was fantastic. The the fast track policy, we need smart, good people in this country to continue to continue to fuel our companies and anything that we're doing to subsidize multinationals, to make it easier to hire our good people, I do not think is a good idea. So points like that need to continue to be talked about and discussed. And, you know, I think I think we uh, we need to continue to speak with one voice because these are important messages and it's not always easy to cut through the red tape to get those messages through. Mm. 
Bruce, as we're wrapping up our conversation here today, I, I wanted to thank you so much for being here and for not only your continued support of Startup Canada, because um, it's tremendous having you in our corner, but also tremendous having you in our audience's corner uh, and for them to know that you're looking out for them as well. And as we're finishing up today, I wanted to know if there was, from our conversation, what the most tangible piece of advice you think entrepreneurs could implement immediately in their businesses after listening to us would be? Mm, that's a good one. Um, I would say that the importance of understanding where you want to be 18 months from now, articulating it, being relentless in your focus to achieve the three or four things that you're going to need to do to get there, and then surrounding your people, surrounding yourself with people that you've given some thought to as to the characteristics of that would be the most conducive to, to, to achieving your 18 month goals and then beyond obviously. But that culture building piece to make sure that you're going to war with people you can count on, uh, that fit a definition that you've given some thought to as to the kind of people that you think are, are going to be the right kinds of people to get you where you want to go and then just stay relentless on the focus on those things that you've decided are your goals in the short, medium, and long term. And then as an old friend of mine has also said, um, you know, it's a bit of a basketball analogy, go Raps. Uh, you know, if you hang around the hoop long enough, you'll catch a ball. So hang around the hoop, do the right thing with the right people, focused on the right outcome, um, over time you'll be successful one cohesive piece and one great way to wrap it up. Bruce, again, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, your experience, your expertise, and really sharing with our audiences what those, uh, what those key things you see in the ecosystem and Canada-wide are for entrepreneurs coast to coast. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was a great conversation. Thank you. Not a problem, Bruce. All the best. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Until next week, I'm your host, Matt Curtis. Go check out the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. 